Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about operations, growth, and scale. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Today, we have Connor Jeffers, founder and CEO of Aptitude 8, who joins the show to talk about solutions architecture. We start with his definition of solutions architecture. For example, is it a role he fills, a function his team delivers on, or a service that his company offers? We then contrast solutions architects to some other technical and tactical roles, including systems administrators, RevOps professionals, developers, and sales engineers. We talk about growth and development of solutions architects and how he helps raise the bar for technical expertise, systems design, and other key aspects of the role, and whether these folks are primarily homegrown or sought after externally. We wrap with A8 Labs and his recent acquisition of App Chemist. How did this app builder arm of Aptitude 8 come to be, and should more partners be considering how to break into the app ecosystem around HubSpot themselves? Agency Unfiltered begins right now. Connor, hello. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for uh, joining in. Where are we dialing in from? I am in uh, I'm in New York City, so we're we're right dab in uh, in the middle. Uh, we're a couple blocks north of Madison Square Park, but that's just where I am. Everyone else is kind of all over the place uh, at A8 overall. How many folks are on the team? We are thirty. Oh man, I know we're like we have we're doing an in person event in a couple of weeks, and like my final head count for that is thirty five. Mm. Uh, but I think I have two more coming in. A week or two after that, so we're thirty-five. We're we're somewhere between thirty and thirty-seven, depending on which <laughs> any day given day in the, any in, given the, day. in the next two three weeks. Yeah, that's fair. Now this is going to be way dated by the time probably from the day we're recording now to when sure, it actually sure. gets out there. But uh, speaking of New York City, my my fa- my in laws, my wife's family is from Long Island, and so I'm trying to convince her we should go back and see uh, Elton John's playing at Madison Square Garden in like a week. So I'm trying to nice. trying to pull some strings to see if we can make that work. Come on down, man. If you're out here, I'd love to see that. Like I can, I can walk down and, and meet you at the venue for a beer. You're that close. All right. I'm that if close. You, I'm very if close. anybody around you, if anybody's selling tickets, let me know. All right. Like send them in my direction. <laughs> if I, if I see a scalper, I'll be like, Ooh, I know a guy. Yeah. Right. Right. We just did a podcast. Let me get him on the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He only, you only can pay him Bitcoin. So you gotta like, it's, yeah, it's that's all right. Thing. Yeah. And you can only reach him on Zencaster. So, <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, Connor, I think today we're here to talk about uh, a topic I'm, I'm excited about, so I'm energized about, uh, my team is thinking quite a bit about, I feel like HubSpot's thinking quite a bit about, and it's solutions architecture or solutions architects, right? Uh, and I think the best place to start is to get your definitive perspective or definition as to what is a solutions architect or what is solutions architecture. Uh, and let's use that as a jumping off point. That feels like a good place to start. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, I sort of think about solu- – I'll, I'll define solutions architecture and then I'll just cheat and be like solutions architect is like they one do that. who does that. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the thing. But I think when I think about kind of solutions architecture and I'll, I'll be like platform agnostic but then sort of apply it maybe even more specifically to HubSpot is uh, solutions architecture I'd say is, is figuring out how to deliver an experience within the – limitations provided either by the business requirements, the budget, or the technologies at play. And so when I think about kind of what does that mean is it could be we are only using HubSpot and we are trying to find a way to deliver a service experience and have people interact on our website and log in and update a ticket. And then when they update that ticket, I want to send them this email and I need to notify my my manager that this ticket's been done. And like a solutions architecture framework is, okay, well, how could we do that? And what options would exist? And what are the pros and cons of those options? And I think you can localize that to HubSpot. But for, for us, and I think for kind of what Solutions Architect is overall is really abstracting that from even one particular technology and even more in sort of the overall landscape. So for us, a lot of the problems that we we tend to focus on for customers is, hey, we have this ERP and we use this legacy CRM system and we're trying to move to something new and we want to deliver this type of a user experience, but it's really important we report on these things and we can only spend $50,000 help. Uh, and, and solutions architect is like, okay, let me ask a bunch of questions, intake that framework and try to come back with here, here's how we could solve your problem, uh, with both the technology and what people would be needed and how to really build that thing at the end of the day. So, and then to your point, solutions architects are the one that run that process. Is run that, that process. Solutions yeah. architect does that thing. They run that process. They handle the kind of the requirements gathering piece and they have the sort of the technical and the business knowledge to merge those two things together and figure out kind of what that solution would look like. Yeah. And so it sounds like the 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 qualification or the genesis of when a solutions architect should be involved in any prospect or client conversation is the emergence of multiple systems. Like what's like that layer of qualification when sure, okay, yeah, sure. this is a this is a solutions architecture challenge to to uh, resolve. I think multiple systems is is certainly an indicator, but I actually you, you could do this all in one system and one tool. I think the cool thing, right, when we think about uh I'm gonna go on a little bit of a tan. I'll come back and answer this question, I promise. When I think about like the exciting part of HubSpot as a platform is two years ago, three years ago, when you just said marketing hub, like a, a HubSpot solutions architect would be like a weird phrase because the the problems you're gonna solve are relatively discrete and the answers are relatively findable, right? Like there is objectively a right answer and way to do something. And I think solutions architecture comes into play when there's a ton of ways to solve this problem, all of them with different pros and cons, all of them with different costs, all of them with different outcomes. And the, the nuance isn't necessarily in how do we build that solution, but what should that solution be? And so I think when I think, when does a solutions architect add a ton of value is when there are tons of different ways to solve a problem and all of them have costs and benefits and there's at least a degree of complexity either in the problem itself or in the restrictions on what that solution can look like to necessitate like everyone in the room could really say yeah we really need to sit down and figure out how we should do this and not just jump into it and and just be like oh yeah we'll just set that up like that'll be really easy um where I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. And maybe in the simplest form is 
where does a uh, solutions architect live in an org chart? And then if I want to unpack that a little bit more, I think like, okay, sales engineers come in uh, and they can help qualify uh, good deals, like good fits, poor fits, right? Like they qualify yeah. sales opportunities. But then I think of like post-sale work and how systems administrators might go build or do or set up. Like how does systems or solutions architecture compare and contrast to those? Where do they live inside of an org chart at somewhere like your firm? Yeah, I, I think I think we're weird because I, I actually think the majority of our if you I think if you ask the majority of people on our team and they'd be like, what do you do? And they'd be like, I'm kind of like I kind of like, like a solutions architect. And I think like the majority of what we do as a business is solutions architecture, is is my honest belief. And I think that if you talk to our more senior employees, they'd be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah you should call me a solutions architect. And if you talk to our more junior ones, they'll be like, Yeah, yeah I want to be a solutions architect. Like that's what I want to do. Uh, but I think we're thinking a lot around even in our business, there's sort of this like super solutions architect problem of what happens if something's really hard or really complicated or goes really deep on a particular problem? What do we do? Like who does that? Uh, and we're thinking a lot of, do, do we need one of those in all of our services teams? Do they sit outside of our services team and then get pulled into individual projects? And I, I don't know that I have the, this is the right answer uh, at, at this point. I think the way that we think about, if I, in an earlier stage organization and maybe even one Stage may not matter. I'd say, what volume of solutions architecture problems do you solve? Is maybe the right type of framework. And I'd say, if it's if it's low to moderate, you probably have a person who floats around and is the this is the most technical, capable person that we're going to pull into this project and we're going to help figure this out. And they're going to work on this, and then they're going to figure out all of those details and then hand it off to someone who's then going to build that solution. And maybe they go back to the solutions architect for questions or clarifications or sort of something to that effect. And I think that what we're thinking a lot about is if we're at 35 now and we're at 50 to 60 by the end of the year and 100 next year, what what does that look like for us? And so we're thinking right now around, I think that every services team is going to need its own solutions architect that goes pretty deep in what that services team specializes in. And I think today, you know, HubSpot solutions architect as a concept is probably less than a year old, but I think we're going to see really CMS solutions architect as like its own thing. And they don't know as much about the rest of the pieces. And we'll sort of continue down those lenses of granularity as, as stuff becomes more localized and more complex. So solutions architecture today is kind of like spe- like expertise across, you know, the CRM platform in the HubSpot example. But you're thinking yeah. the future where there's specialization at a more granular level, right? And there's going to be even a higher or a deeper depth of knowledge required for for true solutions architecture. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, th- I think technical, the, the, requ- the technical requirements to be somebody who does services on on HubSpot is, is just going to continue to increase, right? And I think that what we call a solutions architect today will probably become like what an admin is in two years, realistically. And I think that it'll continue to go in, in depth. And I think that when we look at uh, what a solutions architect is going to solve for, I think the types of problems that people not only will want to solve and also that you'll be able to solve will just continue to expand as well. Uh, And, you know, I think today we look at like CMS is something we're going really, really deep on right now because you can build really complex, amazing things on top of the CMS. But I think the same thing is going to happen as we start to get into really cool UI customization and you can start to build your own little consoles inside of HubSpot. So now the what do you want to do on the front end? It matters just as much as how you're going to structure the back end and everything just sort of increases in in complexity. I always think about this as like the 
the concept of entropy in physics, which is just like entropy increases as time goes on. Uh, and I think that that's super true in in all things. And I, I think we're seeing it manifest in the HubSpot universe okay. for sure. That's fair. I think uh, I, I, we, we talked about systems administrators for a moment. Um, we talked about like pre-sales support, qualification support. Where do you see solutions architecture overlapping, comparing, contrasting to like, you mentioned CMS a couple of times, developers. Do they have to be yeah. full stack developers? How intimately familiar do they need to be with APIs? Like where, where does that plug in? Where's How do you see the delineation there? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think most solutions architects Either either can't code or they'll be like, I'm, you don't want me to code. I'm terrible at coding, right? Like that. At minimum, they're going to be like, don't, I don't, I should not do that. But whether they can or not, maybe it is there. I think what's really important is understanding what's possible and understanding what tools to use to solve a particular problem, right? I think that when you think about that, is you don't necessarily need to be able to write the piece of JavaScript that's going to run in Operations Hub and interface with the NetSuite API. But you do need to be able to be like, okay, what objects are you trying to work with in NetSuite? Okay, you want to work with accounts and billings. Cool. Let me go look at the API documentation and figure out, do I have post queries, update queries? Like, What, what can I do here? And then can I do those with uh, this JavaScript? Do I have the right inputs necessary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that sounds good. We should be able to solve that problem. And here's what I think that solution would look like and give those requirements to an engineer who's then going to go and say, okay, let me actually write the code to, to make this happen. Uh, but I do think that you'll see where I typically see sort of solutions architects come from. Uh, and I think we'll see them more from sort of the services side. I just think it's it's too new that we're seeing that a lot. But is people who are sort of in servicing type of roles, people who are in sales roles, right? Because I think in sales, the reality is you, you solve a lot of problems every day. You see a lot of problems and you start to figure out like, okay, I need to figure out how we're going to do this. Uh, and, and they start to get a little bit more knowledgeable um, or engineers that maybe are, are doing a lot of those and say, I don't get as much satisfaction from writing the code and hitting submit and seeing hello world get printed, but I really love figuring out like, can we print hello world? Uh, and then they go kind of that route also. And I think a lot of ways you can find yourself in that, but I think it's a, somebody who is a Technolo technologist at their core, a generalist in a lot of ways, but has enough technical acumen to really get deep into something. Uh, and there's certainly gotchas uh, that you'll run into where you're like, oh yeah, I'm not an engineer, so I don't think I would have seen that. Uh, but I think that that's something that is, and I think admins will all, and enterprising admins who want to progress their careers will probably end there. I think that that's like really the final level uh, in some ways for those folks. Well, it sounds like they have to be a technologist at art for sure, but they need to, they need to be dangerous enough to set up the development resources and teams up yes. for success. I need they have to, to have to be the able baseline to give ability. developers direction for sure. Yes, yes. Um, so it's like proper allocation uh, and folding in the development resources, setting them up for success, 100%. Yeah. Um, last comparative question. Uh, yeah. And it's solutions architects or solutions architecture Compared and contrasted to RevOps or revenue operations, what's the delineation in your in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I I think for this is a hard one. I, I think RevOps has a lot of solutions architecture involved when it's when it's really being done. I think that there's there's certainly revenue operations problems that don't require a solutions architect to solve. Right, you can solve it with automation or configuration, and it's relatively native. I think when you get to a certain scale of business, things just get a lot more complicated is I think the other piece. And you start not just saying, well, I need to solve this problem that's localized. It's, I need to solve this problem 
and its parameters are limited by what happens upstream and what it's capable of is limited by what happens downstream and those may or may not happen in the same system. And so I, I really think if you're doing RevOps work, you're, you're really angling yourself towards solutions architecture and that's the right place to be. And I think that when, when we think about what is RevOps, we think about it a lot as solving go-to-market problems with solutions architecture uh, is like maybe one definition of RevOps that I'd be amenable to. Um, but I think that the it, it really is more a function of how complex the problem is. And if you're uh, a revenue operations professional, you probably do a lot of solutions architecture day to day. And that solutions architect is something that's rare you'd find in-house. But I think that if you really think about the highest level of RevOps professionals, either yeah. in a services or uh, a capacity that they're on like a go-to-market team as opposed to in-house, that they're probably more of a solutions architect for sure. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's helpful content. That's a good way to think about it. Um, you've alluded to it to a couple times. Uh, you've meant like, oh, enterprising systems administrators might be seeking growth into solutions architecture. You mentioned something like more junior versus senior members of your team and how they want to anchor to solutions architecture. What does the growth and development of these individuals look like? Like, how do you put plans in place to coach up and build up their technical expertise? And like systems design I, oh, capabilities. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you like how we see it. What I I, what I would love to tell you, oh yeah, I have a track. Like you just, yeah. here are the three steps. Yeah, here's the you know? playbook. Yeah, right. Exactly. Here's the playbook. Yeah. I don't have that yet. I think we're certainly aspiring to, to make that. I think when we think about um, how we get, and there's someone on our team who I think has grown from someone who was a salesperson, came in, really became kind of that HubSpot admin. And over the last two years has gotten to a place that he's really working on complex solutions, architecture, problems, and integrations, and data modeling. And when I think about kind of his journey, uh, which I think is fast, by the way, I think he's a really, really talented individual. I think two years is pretty aggressive, uh, but I think you can do it, um, is really the first piece is understanding the technology capabilities. And I think that there's kind of this like building out on that knowledge tree. So you really start with kind of the admin framework of what does this tool do? What is it capable of out of the box? And and what? how do these features interact with one another and really getting a handle on kind of a core platform? And then I think you start to extend that by saying, okay, well, what APIs does it have and how do APIs work? And really understanding what, like, what is code at, at like a logical base level, I think goes a long way. Uh, you start to add on some of that skill set of understanding extensibility, right? So not just what is a contact, what is a workflow, how do I interact with those? But like, what is a CRM card and what's a CRM extension and and what can I do with that if I really think about how that works and how it could connect to something else and starting to conceptualize those. Uh, and then I think you go to the sort of the repetition level, which is uh, you just start to see a lot of problems and you start to see a lot of problems getting solved and you start to recognize those patterns. And I think the hardest part uh, that I think is there that I, I think about a lot and I I won't even say a name because I'll probably pick the wrong person, but there is some <laughs> chess grandmaster uh, who says that like there's no excuse for playing a lot of games. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, the way that you kind of get to that solutions architect level is you play a lot of games, you see a lot of problems, you solve a lot of problems, and you start to really see, eh, I don't think we should do it that way because I've seen it done that way. And here's kind of the implications of it. Uh, and I think that that's kind of that journey, but the things to build, if you're sort of, if you're in an admin role now and you're thinking, wow, that sounds awesome. How can I become that person is level up your technical acumen and really understand how code works, how APIs work, how systems really talk to each other at the end of the day. And then also level up your business understanding for how, what are the limits of, of different problems? What happens if this syncs 
hourly versus daily and and ask those questions and you start to really understand those pieces. Um, and I think right now, if you're saying, I, I think if you put up a role and say, we're hiring a HubSpot solutions architect, you're probably not going to get that much would be my guess. Cause I think that there's not a lot out there. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing is I think today you have to build them and you pull them from people that are really excellent problem solvers, strong technologists that, that can piece that stuff together. You, uh, it's, you almost answered my question before I got to, well, not almost, you definitely did was, <laughs> are you, are these folks homegrown or externally, uh, sought yeah. after? It sounds like for the most part, there's just the role doesn't exist in the volume in which externally sourcing is a viable solution, at least not yet. Right. Is that fair to say? I, I would say right now. So if you, I would all say to anyone listening is if you're like, I'm a solutions architect, like I could do this, like, please, please. I would probably hire you. Like, please, please come talk to I'd love to meet you. Are you, you farming regardless. my listeners? Are you farming them? <laughs> <laughs> but I think when we think about growing them, right? I mean, I think I will say, I think that if I was to go and hire everybody who is a capable HubSpot solutions architect today, I don't think I would hire an, enough. Like, I really don't think that I would meet our, our growth the demand. Goal. Yeah, right. the demand. I don't think I'd meet the demand. Uh, and if I can't meet my demand, then certainly the market can't meet theirs. Yeah. Extrapolate that they, out to the ecosystem. Yeah. Right. That's just impossible, right? But I think that the if you're hiring for this type of role where we find a lot of success is either developing and growing these people in our services team and, and really getting them exposed to more technical solutions, we, we try a lot to pair like either junior consultants or associates on big complicated projects and like really expose them to those and have them have the opportunity to see how those things go down. Cause I think there's no excuse for playing more games. And then I think the other component is we hire a lot for folks in other ecosystems. Like I always tell partners I talk to like Shopify, Atlassian, Salesforce, all of these are great places that people, people really can solve problems with those technologies. The skills, the base level skills are the same and they just need to learn a new tool set. And if they're smart and capable, that's a, you know, couple of months problem and not a couple of years problem. Uh, and they can probably add value almost immediately. Uh, and it's just sort of learning a, a new way of doing things, but the the core skill set's the same. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Broaden beyond software specificity. Yep. That's a great point. In regards to development, uh, obviously technical aptitude expertise, like that's obviously clearly a key piece of it. What about those like softer skills, right? Like you know, being able to to balance you know a proposal and a sales conversation, appealing to you know senior executive level level stakeholders, um, uh, setting up and providing necessary support for the people that go do right, like uh, discovery and like strategic question asking, like those soft skills, where does that play into the development uh, pipeline for these? Yeah, companies? for sure. I, I mean, I think, I think to be a true solutions architect, you, you do have to have some of those soft skills. We invest, so we, we invest pretty heavily in soft skills development for us. So like all of our staff go through uh, consulting training, they learn soft skills, they learn like project life cycles. We, we, we partner with somebody who does that with Accenture and sort of Deloitte and other pro consulting firms to teach those soft skills. But I do think that that stuff's super important. And that's the reason that I think people who come from kind of that that sales or sales engineering background really thrive in this role because it's so much about people just as much as it's about technology. And I think the big thing for solutions architects generally is it's very different than you know a developer or product manager who's going to say, here's what we're going to build. This is the language we're going to use. And everyone in the room is like, okay, that makes sense. You're really trying to take people who are saying, I am afraid and I don't know where we should go to, that sounds like a good idea. And I have a lot of confidence that you're going to be able to give it to me. And that's that's really hard. <laughs> that's an objectively hard thing to do. And I think that those soft skills are critically important. And I think if you are, 
in any kind of, uh, and that's, I think one of the reasons that we see a lot of folks is I would say most people on our team at some point have spent time in a, some sort of go-to-market customer facing role in a technology organization because you learn some of those skills in and of themselves, you have to be a problem solver and you have to be somebody who can connect abstract technical concepts to something that people can understand. But I think that that's super critical. And if you're stronger on the hard skills side, I would say try to get exposed to some sales or service or some sort of role where you do that, because that's really how you become someone that can communicate those things to other people. Uh, And that's just as important as any of the hard skills are. And I actually think in some ways harder to to learn and grow. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Love that. Uh, I want to Potentially switch gears. Um, I think your team uh, had some breaking news maybe a month or so ago now, right? And there was an acquisition of AppChemist and yes. the introduction to AA Labs. Um, would love to learn more about how this like app builder arm of the firm and how it came to be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's something we're really excited about. I think there, there's kind of two two things that drove us in this direction. One is I think that there's tremendous opportunity in this. I mean, you guys put out the IDC white paper, you know, and I 12, 20, some number of billions of dollars (laughs) of any percentage of sounds great. uh, The the, sort of the opportunity that's out there. And I think a lot of that's going to come from ecosystem. I, I sort of see the HubSpot platform ecosystem as following a very similar life cycle to an Atlassian or a Shopify or, or a Salesforce where the ecosystem is gets just as big and then bigger than the, the core software itself. And I think we really are looking to carve a piece of that. And, and there's a business decision behind this that certainly drives that. I think the other thing is, and I, I spent a lot of time talking with the app chemist guys, we all see the same future and the same vision. And we, we really thought that doing it together was the best way to conquer it. But I think that the, the thing that makes us so excited there is on our services side, we uncover so many things that people want. I think the best thing that we have is I, I really believe we have the best pulse on the market that anyone could have for what do HubSpot customers want to be able to do that we frequently are like, yeah, I, I don't know how we do that or we could build that, but it'd be really expensive. Uh, and we see A8 Labs as a place that we can take those limitations and really put them to our technology team and say, hey, let's solve this. And that's where... so. One of our one of our first apps, Associate, uh, which is in the marketplace, it's it's free for I think a thousand a thousand associations a month. Uh, it was something that we built because our services teams were always trying to build really cool workflows and experiences. And the problem they were running into is, well, I need these records to get linked so that I can do this other downstream stuff. Whether it's a when a ticket comes in and someone types in a, an order ID number on that ticket, I need to go search for the deal and link it so that I can send that person an email that says, hey, your your return was more than 30 days ago. So you know, you have to go to this channel or something else. And I, if I, I could, I could totally do that if I could just get these associated together. And so we went and built associate as this admin tool. And it was something we originally just built for us. And then we got, I think we have tons of five-star reviews and other stuff on the ecosystem. So we've done something right. Uh, <laughs> but I think we really see that as the opportunity is let's go build those solutions that really solve for those, those feature gaps that uh, really extend what the platform's capable of. And we think the the market for that's really, really big. That's great. It's So maybe there's, this is more connected than I thought because the discovery a solutions architect may run help inform uh, yeah. and identify the trends in which, you know, apps or products can be built to solve these these problems. 
Totally. And one of the things that when we looked at this is we were, we said, and it, it's actually really interesting because I, I knew this and I made this connection, but as you bring this up, I was like, oh yeah, this is totally related is one of the big reasons that we thought the acquisition made so much sense is I personally was doing a lot of our solutions architecture and we have people on our team who are really capable of doing that also. But we found that was like, wow, we don't have enough of that. And one of the premises was with the app chemist team, these are guys who know HubSpot inside and out, know the technology inside and out, are building apps and products on top of the platform and know enough to say, oh, this is something this can't do. We should build something that does that. And the premise was, they can totally support solutions architecture across all of our services. And so it's normal for us to pull in Tyrone, our CTO, Dax, our head of product, that the app chemist co-founders into pre-sales conversations, into live services engagements, and really say, hey, customer, you're trying to solve this big complex problem. Let's bring in really techno technology experts to work on this and solve this for you. And that's something that really enhances our ability to service our customers, which really brings those two together. We can identify opportunities from service. We can support service through some of the product side stuff. Uh, and we really see that as, as harmonized uh, pretty strongly. So if I'm, a, if I'm a solutions partner listening in, do I need to be figuring out a way in which I should be bre like breaking into the app ecosystem? Do I need to go seek out app, app builders uh, that are interested in acquisition as well? Like, What's your recommendation for other partners in this regard? Yeah. So I, I think the app ecosystem opportunity is, is really, really big. That being said, software is a really hard business. Uh, I, I, will, I will tell people candidly, we burn forty dollars to $50,000 a month on our product and software side. And we're certainly not collecting that in revenue from our software business right now. Uh, and it's, it's not quite a loss leader because of all of the, the, the nice harmonies that I talked about, but um, it's super expensive. And that's the reason that you see software companies raise tons of money to go build products and, and launch them. And if you're thinking that, oh, I'll hire a developer and then we'll build a product and we'll put it in the market, I would be skeptical and hesitant to go jump into that. And I think the only reason why, and honestly, I when I managed our original associate build and I was like, oh my God, I cannot do this and the core services business. And that's when we really went for the acquisition was we need to bring in people to really lead and build this. And, and I think that that's more than one person's full-time job. So I think the opportunity is vast, but I think if you're a solutions partner focused on service, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, wow, I have to go build an app to stay relevant and stay valuable. What I will say is the app ecosystem is going to be just as important in understanding what's out there and what you can connect and what you can extend as understanding HubSpot itself. And I think when we look at sort of associate as something that if you are a HubSpot services partner, it, it can probably help you solve problems that your customers want to solve. And it's really cheap. Uh, and you can go get that app. You can install it. You can use it and solve problems. Same thing with Clone Attack, which we have for cloning records, either in workflows or you click things. And and I think what's important, not not and there's tons of other apps not by us. Org Chart Hub is awesome. There's geo mapping solutions. Like understanding, I think what's going to be more important is not just knowing what HubSpot is natively capable of, but knowing what exists in the in the app ecosystem and how you can use those to extend the things you can build for your customers. That's going to become make or break critical because people who know how to do that are going to be able to solve problems that if you don't know how to, you can't. And your customers are going to go to people who can solve their problems at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Excellent point. Um, now, guys, we run out of time here. I have one question that I ask every guest. Before sure. I get that though, a, a slight spin 
what is there is there something uncovered from a solutions architect's like proposed solution or like what they've designed? Like, is there anything just really unique or impressive that that's worth calling out here? Like, man, we really stretched the 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 capabilities uh, for this for this use case or for this client. Does that make sense? Is there is there anything that oh, really man. stands out as like, wow, I can't believe I, we actually I have made that so work? Many. It's, it's hard. I have one that's top of mind. What I will say is uh, we do a, we work really hard to publish most of the stuff we're working on as case studies. So even if you're a, if you're another solutions partner and you're, you're like check out our site, we we publish and write up how we build a lot of those types of things and like we have a bunch of examples. One that comes to mind for me is we recently worked with uh, a university customer and we did this whole front end CMS project and I think it's the coolest thing that we've built to date though I'm sure but maybe even by the time this airs we'll we'll have something else really new and exciting. Uh but I think that the that solution is a front-end CMS, and then we're using all of the serverless functions on CMS Hub Enterprise to sort of build this headless experience that pulls up the Shopify checkout ex- checkout flow. Uh, so users can come onto the site, they can go through the Shopify checkout flow, they can purchase uh, courses through the Shopify checkout flow, and then we're using the Shopify HubSpot connector to then push that data back into HubSpot. Uh, but one of our core issues with building that solution was they were using Thinkific uh, as their LMS platform. So uh, what we did is Thinkific has a bunch of webhooks that that push data. So when different events happen in Thinkific, like a course is created, a course is updated, an instructor is added, uh, you can trigger webhooks. So we have all those webhooks pointing to HubSpot serverless functions, and then those generate custom objects inside of HubSpot. So when a course is created in Thinkific, it'll go through the Shopify integration, create the same course in Shopify, go to HubSpot. This case study should be published in the next couple of weeks and it'll probably explain it more elegantly (laughs) than I can. Uh, But it'll send that data into HubSpot and generate a custom object. And then what's super cool is the whole website, if you go click on an individual training, that training page is all powered by a custom object in HubSpot and that's Mm. the page. And so their administrative experiences they go to Thinkific, they create courses in Thinkific that dynamically automatically shows up on their website. You can buy it through Shopify, all that data syncs back. And because it's all in HubSpot, for one student record, we have every course they've ever taken, right. the courses yeah. that they purchased, and we can use all of that in automations and workflows and everything else. And that's something that like, it's got HubSpot, it's got Shopify, it's got Thinkific, it's this like crazy e-commerce memberships thing. And I, I think that that project is really pure solutions architecture of a customer saying, we hate the way it works right now. It's really hard to administer and manage. We have to update things in four or five places yep. and we want to deliver a better customer experience. And we really worked with them to say, okay, how could we do that? Uh, and then go and build everything. And I think that that's where, if you're a solutions partner, those are well north of six figure type of projects that are, we're starting to see. And last year I saw those and I I was wow, these are crazy big. And and now we're talking to tons of them all of the time. Uh, and I'm certain that I I can't do all of them. So, so, like so there's, more, there's room, there's them. room for others. Okay. Yes. Plenty of room for other people yes. to come do these things because we can't do all of them, uh, no matter how hard we may try. Um, great example. Damn. That was, yeah. Anything you could have stuffed into a case study, it felt like it had it. Uh, <laughs> Carter, last question. We wrap every episode with this as we're running out of time. What is the uh, strangest part of agency life? That's an interesting one. Uh, I wish I'd listened to his, a bunch of historical episodes and like 
curated other people's answers. My, you can't, I think you can't be revealing that mind. now. You know, you can, it's a little late for that. <laughs> oh, so you're not even, you don't even know. Yeah. Uh, what I would say that, that we run into the most that I think is the most interesting is um, you have this kind of triangular relationship with your customer. And I think that especially if you're a HubSpot solutions partner, you, you have both your relationship with HubSpot, you have a relationship to the customer and you have their relationship to software. And I think what's really hard in that type of a model is sometimes what was what the customer bought or the customer was sold originally isn't the SKUs that they need to solve their problem, um, or you can't build something on that core software solution. You need something else. And HubSpot might be like, well, let's not tell them that we can't do it. Uh, and you're like, yeah, but I kind of have to solve like this problem for my client. And I think that that's this really interesting triangular relationship that I think we're still figuring out. And I think the thing that I love most about HubSpot specifically is because you guys are so partner centric and because you guys have really a team dedicated to that, managing that relationship is so much easier than with some of the other partners that we work with. But I think that that's super weird. And I, and it, I would, anyone who comes from another room, like, yeah, there's kind of this weird triangle thing going on that you got to manage, but uh, it's totally worth it. It's great. Uh, but it, it's, it's certainly weird. Yeah. It, it's an optimistic way to think about it because that could have been classified as frustrated or annoying, but yeah, I think I think strange. There's also ways to win, though, right? I mean, we get to we get to co-sell with you guys, and and those conversations are awesome because we we talk to a customer who either has unrealistic expectations or their timelines don't make any sense, and then we get to hang up and call you guys and be like, so that's not happening, right? Like we're all on the same page here, uh, and you're not alone in those. So that's, that's kind of nice true. too. So there's op- uh, yeah, optimistic and opportunistic. There's a couple different ways to think about it. Yeah. Um, Kind of we're out of time. Thanks so much for jumping in. Uh, thanks for sharing all your knowledge and expertise on the subject that is solutions architecture. Uh, it's been great talking to you, man. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. For sure. And for everyone that has been tuning in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.